You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. What up, everybody, and welcome to episode 52 of 2, 5, and 10. Happy anniversary, my love. You are finally home. You're near, you're dear, you're close to my heart. A year in advance, I don't think we... uh thought a year ago we would have all the love and affection that we have had through everybody that's reached out so thank you very much i was debating on doing an episode with you while you were away but i just couldn't do the one year without you everybody benny's home benny what up finally back to new york after all the talk finally off the road after the 12 day 11 night road trip uh, from san francisco to queens new york Glad to be back. Glad that I'm back before the season starts, which at the time of this recording is two nights from now, and can catch up on some of the news that I missed as I completely unplugged, and you can fill me in and take it from there. Oh, God. I don't know if you want me to be the one that's filling you in, but yes, <laughs> I, I will try my best. Do you want to go into how the trip was? you want to talk about that after? What do you want to do? Uh, I can go into that during shout-outs, I guess. All right. Well, let's start it up. Last week... Well, last episode, not last week. Once as we got off the air, Thomas Shabbat, not yet a RFA, still on his entry level, but he has already signed his big ticket starting next year for an eight-year, eight million average annual value for a total of sixty-four million a year. What are your thoughts on that, Benny? Uh, it's interesting to me that both parties were willing to sign that deal a year before he hit restricted free agency. The most interesting part for me was because I think Ottawa got a great deal with this just I know it's a long-term commitment but eight million dollars a year is the uh, annual value I think is a steal now and it's going to be an even bigger steal as uh, contracts keep going up and up and up and the cap uh, increases where you get a guy Thomas Shabbat eight million dollars a year I think it's interesting that he was willing to forego potentially making a little bit more money uh, through arbitration and then signing a long-term deal or eventually just signing a deal with another organization if the senators ended up not being able to afford him, but also that he signed for eight years because that takes him through basically his age 30, 31 uh, season. So he's basically signing away his prime years for, I think, already a below-market deal. So I think it's a great deal for the senators. Absolutely. Great deal for the Senators. The other thing, like you said, A, the years that he's giving up, and who knows as to what the market will or won't go to, but B, he's actually committed to being Ottawa, which I don't know if that's a good move, a bad move. Like, I feel the Senators are rebuilding, and I like their young talent. Maybe this is just their start of... We're putting pieces in place. If you want to be here, we'll sign you long-term, like Brady Kachuk's coming up, Logan Brown. I feel like this is where you will get your guys to stay long-term. So this is huge for them, absolutely huge. And the crazy thing, like you said, is this is Ottawa's new Eric Carlson. And I'm surprised he didn't hold out to get, like, Eric Carlson money. So we'll see as to... Maybe he'll be the first like guy in the NHL that goes for like a restructured deal, like the NFL guys do every <laughs> every off season. So we'll see what happens with that. 
Yeah, he'll just hold out and threaten uh, to sit off for the year until he gets a new deal. Um, but yeah, I think that's like you kind of touched on a turning point for the Senators because they've been bleeding talent on the ice and off the ice for the last several years. They're kind of the laughing stock of the league uh, since their uh, deep playoff run several seasons back. So to see a young cornerstone guy willing to sign a below market deal at for a long term, a year before restricted free agency, I think that kind of sends a message to the rest of the room. But if a guy like Kachuk, uh, Logan Brown, those guys that, hey, I'm all in. I'm buying into the plan. They have a plan. It's going to start turning around, and I think it's worth it to stick around here. So I think that's a big, big deal for the Senators organization. Uh, the other big deal that happened very recently, because it was important for all these RFAs to sign before the season started for cap purposes, uh, Miko Rantanen in the for the Colorado Avalanche six year deal fifty five and a half million dollars a nine point two five million dollar annual cap hit. What do you think on the term cap hit? Everything. I was surprised he held out as long as he did. I thought they were going to get something worked out a lot sooner, just because they have plenty of cap space. Like it's not like this was kind of lingering or holding them back, which I thought was interesting. One other thing is when you look at it, he was a part of that big three of, you know, what made them go last year. So for me, it was crucial for them to get him back. But now looking at it is, is there now a riff in the locker room? Because if I saw something the other day on the NHL's Instagram and they were asking players, who are your top three in the league? You know, Crosby, McKinnon and McDavid were constant. McKinnon only makes 6.3. And I understand you sign at a different time. The market's changed. And maybe Rantanen ran with Mitch Marner's coattails a little bit as to kind of what he got. But at the same time, Rantanen's 22, McKinnon's 24. There's just about a $3 million difference between them. Does that cause a riff? Like, I don't know. And the biggest thing for me, maybe it's just because I'm a Boston guy, is... A lot of guys come here and they buy in as to what's fair, what's not. And, like, David Pasternak, when he signed his deal, and this first thing he quote when they said, like, did you think you signed for too short of money? He goes, I get paid to play hockey. So I, I just think that maybe he went a little high, and I hope it doesn't kill them in the future with what they're trying to build there because they got Makar they got McKinnon, they got Landis Goggett. They have a lot of young talent, and I hope that this deal doesn't kind of hang them out to dry in the future. That's all. Yeah, I'm not sure if it would cause a rift between the players individually. I think what this deal does is, just because of the cap hit, it places him as, okay, he's the face of the franchise. He's the highest played, paid player. Uh, he's obviously a mega-talented young forward. But if he, you're paying him like the face of the franchise, then he's got to be the face of the franchise. And if you're Nathan McKinnon or the captain Landeskog, you're looking at the situation in terms of, okay, what's next for me? Since they're both signed relatively long term, they can't. They're not going to be able to negotiate a new deal. So I'm curious to see if at some point, you know, Crosby and Malkin have been able to work it out, but they've pretty much signed similar deals 
So I think the fact that Rantanen comes in so much higher than McKinnon and uh, a little higher than Landeskog, kind of an odd message to send from management to the team that he's the face of the franchise now in terms of that value. But I, I think the guys are going to be fine in a room. I don't think there's any resentment there. You see me? I'm the captain now. <laughs> um, moving on, uh, say north of the border, the other long-term deal signed just over the weekend was Kyle Connor in uh, Winnipeg. Seven years, $49.98 million total, if I have my math down correctly, for a $7.14 million cap hit. Uh, the Jets also signed Patrick uh, Line to a two-year deal, $6.75 million a year. What do you think on both deals, and are you surprised that Connor got seven, Lonnie got two, the differences between the two situations and all that? I am very surprised. I was actually waiting to talk about this, and I think it just proves Winnipeg's uncertainty with Line as to uh-huh. what he can and can't provide. And for them, I think it's a great deal with only two years at 6.75 because if he can come out and be that player that he once was, you got to stale for two years. But if he comes out this year and he plays like he did last year, I, I think you're extremely worrisome as to, you know, a, a guy that was once a franchise player just completely down the drain. I think that's definitely horrifying. Looking at Connor, I mean, great, great contract for him. Great stability. 7.14 for what the kid gives you, I think, is a great deal. And his commitment is huge to be in Winnipeg that long because, like we said all summer, it seems like it's a little bit of a gong show up there right now. So he wants to be there. Didn't take a short bridge like everybody else has seemed to take in this year. It seems like everyone was in that two- to three-year window. I mean, ranting in a little bit longer, obviously, but it, it just seemed like this guy wants to be there, and hopefully it works out for him. Yes, that's the most revealing aspect of these two deals was the line A contract because this is basically, in for Winnipeg, a one-year deal. Uh, they didn't want to just sign him to a one-year deal in case he has his bounce back that a lot of people are expecting slash hoping for. So they basically gave him a prove-it deal. You have one year, prove who you are as a player because he has been very consistent. His production's been all over the place, um, and he has immense potential. So if he comes out and he has an uneven season, a poor season, whatever you want to call it, he's not going to be in Winnipeg next year because as he enters next summer with only one year left on his deal, I'm sure the Jets will be able to easily flip him to a team that's like, okay, we'll take a flyer on him. Maybe he'll work in our environment, and it's only a one-year commitment because if he doesn't work out, he's gone. But if he does, we can sign him long-term uh, for our organization. So for me, I think the Jets are looking at it as a one-year prove deal, and either he proves it and he stays long-term, or he's going to be gone next offseason. Uh, for Connor, yeah, the term's interesting. I think the fact that he signed for $7 million, which is the going rate when, for re, unrestricted free agency for a guy like Kevin Hayes in Philadelphia, he's a two-time 30-goal scorer. One of the best young, I, I would put him up there as one of the best emerging pure goal scorers in the Western Conference at this point. It's not top tier, but I've put him in a tier below that. 
to be able to sign long term and then just only get the seven million dollars is a little bit surprising to me. But I guess when it you're being offered nearly fifty million dollars and guaranteed money, you're not going to really fight too hard to turn that down. Yeah, I don't. Be, I don't blame him for signing on the line, <laughs> not at all. Um, sticking with the trend of the short term, not necessarily old school bridge deals because those were usually two years, but three year deals for both Matthew Kachuk. Uh, and Calgary and Braden Point in Tampa Bay. Point signs for $20.25 million for a $6.75 million cap pick. Kachuk signed for three years. What do you think this message sends where a player is willing to only sign for three years on their uh, restricted free agent contract, but also for the teams willing to kind of take that risk that in three years they're going to have to pay up big time? It's actually funny because it's like, the money they're getting paid now is big boy money. So can yeah. you imagine what like the next one's going to be? So to me, it's like these guys are already being very well taken care of. There's no question about that. But yeah, what these contracts are going to jump up to is very interesting because who knows what the market is by then. And that's crazy to think. One thing that I thought was interesting was I was listening to Chicklets this week, and they said they had received a tweet. I'll have to find a way to put it up for us. But someone had tweeted at them, and he went through the differences between Braden Point's contract and Mitch Marner's contract. And Marner getting all the extra money that he's making, in reality, is only making after taxes and being up in Canada yep. and everything else, only about $1 million more a year. In point side at six point seven five, and I understand the there's no state tax in Florida. I'm not trying to be a biz or anything like that. I'm just saying that he made a very good point in saying that the NHL, maybe the next time they open the CBA, needs to find a way to make it clear across the board and for the competitive advantage. Yeah, like I thought that was a legitimate, like a very interesting point and a very legitimate point because. Maybe that's the reason why Toronto's in the cap hell they're in right now. Because if they didn't have it up there and they could have signed, I mean, even $3 million less. Say they got Tavares, Matthews, and Marner only at eight as opposed to 11 each. They're saving significant money on the cap. So I thought that was a very interesting point. And obviously, you can't really mess around with state taxes and things like that. I, I don't think states are going to waive their state tax for athletes to play there. I, I just don't think it works that way. But it was very interesting nonetheless. So that was just kind of my takeaway on it. But Matthew Kachuk, absolute animal. Last year of his deal is going to be making $9 million. I know seven's the average annual. I wonder where that team goes, just with all the other young talent on the roster and him kind of setting a precedent. So we'll see what happens. Braden Point in three years, I mean, Kucherov Point and Stamkos, I mean, that's a deadly top three. So Tampa's going to be fun to watch this year. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, going out on a ledge at that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, for me, yeah, the three years, I think it works both ways. So I think that helps Tampa Bay out in the sense that it's a lower cap hit than even a guy like Rantanen got from Colorado, obviously, and what Marner got. So that helps keep their core together because I think they see their window as being open for two to four seasons um, with the current core that's in place because of salary cap considerations and all that. So by him only taking that three-year bridge deal, they were able to fit him in their cap 
budget for the next three years. And it works out for him, though, because in three years, he's going to get Mitch Marner money while living in Florida. So he's even going to get paid more in that case. Uh, I think it's kind of similar with the Kachuk situation, uh, just keeping the flexibility for the team while letting Kachuk know that as a 22-year-old, they're going to get paid uh, $7 million in the next three years now. And then you're going to get paid probably close to like $60 million in your next deal. So it's going to work out for you in a long term anyway. Um, but what you touched on, I remember reading an article about that with James Myrtle for The Athletic. They are talking about possible uh, negotiations for the next CBA and things that might pop up. And one of the suggestions was, and it was a very complicated, he was talking to some tax compliance compliance expert in Canada. And his suggestion was, that players' cap hit isn't what he signs for for the average. It's what the average is for take-home after tax. So the Tampa Bay would lose that benefit versus a team like Toronto or New York or San Jose because the cap hit is only on what the team has to pay out after taxes, essentially, what the player takes home. So that could be an interesting workaround. Well, I was going to say, you know the, uh, you know damn well the owners are not going to be the ones that are paying those taxes afterwards. Yeah. The players, so. <laughs> um, I guess saying north of the border, very Winnipeg Jets-centric episode this week. Uh, Dustin Bufflin granted a leave of absence. He basically is, I guess, determining if he wants to continue playing or not. It would have been much better on his part to inform the Winnipeg Jets of that probably in June instead of end of August, end of midway through September. Um, but they put him on, a, he's granted a leave of absence. They actually suspended him just for the cap implications so they aren't facing any issues while he's away. Um, what are your thoughts on the timing of his uh, announcement, I guess, to the Jets and where did it just go from here? Because like we've touched on, Chuba's gone, Myers is gone, Neil Pionk was already in a top four. Was he going to get top pair minutes now? Jesus. Uh, that'll really go good for your franchise. Um, no, I, I'm hoping that they were at least notified throughout the summer of the issues and everything else. But there's one issue of contemplating retirement and really have to to sit on it and i understand that mm -hmm. but the other part is you came all the way to camp what is it is it yeah is it the weight issue is it his body's not holding up like i feel like there's so many question marks behind it if if they just came in and said he's contemplating retirement due to injuries or this that the other thing maybe you look at it different but it's just been so quiet and so strange and then the other part of it is he is a leader in that locker room. Yeah. So say if he does come back, how do you think the other guys view him? Like, did he not want to be here? Is it us? Is it his body's actually that beat up? Is he that overweight? He doesn't give a shit. Like, I just feel like there's so many things that could be misconstrued. And it always turns into one of those awkward things. Like, oh, now you got to sit in the middle of the room and have the conversation with the boys as to <laughs> yeah. what it is or what it isn't. But no, this this kills them. Th this is awful for them. Like, we talked about it over the summer as the Big Buff wasn't getting any younger. I didn't know Big Buff isn't going to be there. Like, yeah. So I don't know how they try to fill that void. That is a very big man to just not put 
in the hole. So they have some duties. I mean, this kind of jumps Morrissey to their number one. Yep. You Kulikov, Morrissey, Pionk, Nathan Bayou, and then you want to talk about shit. You got Vili Hainola, I mean, on his entry level, just signed him. Sammy Niku, Tucker Pullman, Nelson Noger, and Anthony Batetto. You are in for a world of hurt in that central division. Yep. And, yeah, we've been beating the drum of Winnipeg. Well, they're talented in a lot of areas. I think it's kind of built around reputation more than projected output at this point. And that was with Buffalo in the fold. I I agree. It, I feel like it has to be he went to camp. He was probably unsure throughout the summer. And he was like, he trained. He stayed in shape hopefully and he went to camp and it's like i'll give it another go and he got to camp and he just his heart or whatever or his body just wasn't in it and he's just like i can't because you can you're gonna get seriously hurt out there if your your mind's not focused on what's going on on the ice so i think he just got to camp and it was just like nah i can't i don't know if i can do this anymore so they gave him that leave of absence but if he's gonna come back he's gotta let them know because a lot of guys have been placed on waivers the last day or two because of cut-down day for the teams across the league. Um, I know there are a lot of rumors of, I'm not saying he's a top-pair guy at this point, but Jack Johnson is almost guaranteed to be on a move from Pittsburgh uh, before the season starts on Wednesday. So Winnipeg's going to have to know one way or the other uh, for cap reasons so they can hopefully pick up some depth pieces here. Yeah, I agree completely. That's just... Get Jock. I mean, Jack Johnson would be your number two. Like that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy to me, dude. I don't know. Um, the other news coming out of Winnipeg uh, happened. What was it last night with the Vander Kane? Uh, getting to a little bit of a scrum. He's your boy now, San Jose. Oh yeah, yeah, San Jose. <laughs> Shit, I'm totally blanking, dude, man. Um, yeah, San Jose got into a little bit of a scuffle. Linesman getting in the middle. There's some slashing going on, and then a linesman uh, kept trying to break up the fight that looked like it was bound to happen. And I know that's a new directive for an NHL where linesmen are, are basically being taught to be more aggressive in breaking up fights before they begin and jumping in and getting involved and breaking fights up before somebody gets hurt. Um, but you see Kane shove one of the linesmen after a little bit of a slash. So apparently he's facing a 10-game suspension, which is... Uh, basically right on point with the suspension that Dennis Weidman got for his abuse of an official a few seasons back. So what are your thoughts on, I guess not the incident because it's pretty cut and dry, but do you think he deserves the 10 games? Does he deserve more? And also, does this help build that reputation that Kane's been building on his own that he's just a selfish player in terms of controlling his emotions and not putting his team at a disadvantage here? No, he's ruining everything he already had and then you could see last night just him on the ice the whole thing with england where he didn't want to let it go he he kept going back and for me if you're gonna drop the gloves with somebody drop the gloves like like i just don't know how many cross checks you can give somebody how how many times you can get in their kitchen and just be like Derek england's not a guy who's scared like i think he's more than willing to go so the whole situation when they first come together, then they kind of skate away. Kane ends up checking someone that's coming up the ice, and then he turns to 
England again. And then, in fairness to Evander Kane, and I will usually not defend him, the slash that he goes to give, I think that's a normal slash. Like, yeah. I don't think he's he's not going high on England. He's going to whack him, whether it's the knee or the calf, the, the pant leg. He's going to give him that whack. The linesman gets in the way. The linesman has to know, too. I mean, if you've been in hockey this long, you know. Like, if that slash actually hit England instead of the linesman, they fight there. Like, th- that's not a, hey, th- that is we're going. So the linesman gets in the way. He eats the slash. And then when he sees Kane circle back around, I think through his own mind, he thought, I don't want to eat another one of these. So he was just going to grab Kane. So maybe yeah. he got into the, the defense mechanism a little bit, a little bit ugly all around, no question. I don't think he needs a 10-game suspension for abuse of an official. At the same time, when he's going berserk in the tunnel part of the bench, yeah. <laughs> I, like it just doesn't look good. And at the same time, when all that's happened, I don't know why he can't just talk to the ref and be like, yeah, I clipped them. I was trying to get... I was trying to get England. He got in the way. I ended up getting him. You can look at the video. I'm not trying to slash him. I'm trying to slash England. That's what happened. And I think as a referee, they understand shit happens on the ice. I can't tell you how many times I've done that to somebody. Mm-hmm. So unfortunate nonetheless. But yeah, I don't I don't think he should be getting 10. I mean, maybe a game or two. It just sucks because... That's your last preseason game, so now you're losing real money when you go yeah. on the other end. So that's yep. unfortunate. The only other thing... you the Sharks at disadvantage to start the year because you're guaranteed a suspension, and now the Sharks are shorthanded in terms of their top their, line forward. That's already dwindling. I will say this, though. I think that Vegas and San Jose is probably the best rivalry in the NHL right now. Oh, uh, man, I would go probably Flames and uh, let's go Islanders. Yeah. <laughs> um, the point for me when it comes to Kane is he's shown it a, a lot, especially game in and game out uh, during his tenure in San Jose where I watched him, a little bit in Winnipeg as well. He's able, guys are able to get under his skin and get in his head to the point where he just forgets about what's going on in the ice. He forgets about the game situation and he just takes care of his own business instead of knowing what the context of the game is there. If I take a penalty here, it's really going to screw us over. He's then in the playoffs for San Jose. And that's somebody I would love to see a guy like Sean Avery go up against Evander Kane. Cause he would live in his fucking head. Oh, if there was, I mean, I think Ryan Reeves is in his head for sure. Yeah. So it's like anytime you have that kind of advantage, you take it, and if there's a seven-game series, if San Jose makes it to the playoffs, whoever makes it their job to get into Vander Kane's head, they're going to they're gonna do it. It's the easiest job of the series, in my mind. <laughs> by far. By far. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, we'll kind of go off the ice in terms of our next topic. The Athletic re- released their annual goalie tier rankings, so they... Uh, get the opinion of a bunch of agents, front office personnel, GMs, coaches, other players from around the league, and they rank their goalies based on votes uh, from 1 to 31, break them up into tiers, all that fun stuff. 
Um, I figured we can touch on that. Just I can list the top five. I talk about where Lundqvist is ranked, obviously, since I'm a a fanboy for him. And I don't know if you have any guys that you thought were ranked too low that you were surprised where they were ranked or somebody that was ranked too high that you wanted to comment on. But um, just to get this started, top five goalies in the league as a According to this list, number one is Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay. Number two is Carey Price. Number three is Sergei Bobrovsky. Number four is John Gibson. And number five, two views, two Ks, two Garask. Yeah, um, I looked at it and kind of blower on it a little bit. I feel like some guys are where they should be. Some guys aren't. Um, they had Pecorine at seven. Just behind him, Mark andre Fleury, then Braden Holpe. I almost feel like Holpe or Fleury should be in front of him, just off of previous performances by him. Uh, ben Bishop at six. I mean, he had a yeah. great year last year, but he's always a question mark, and maybe this is strictly just based on if they're not having any injuries, just what they can provide a team. One thing that fell into the B rating, so the tier twos, was Matt Murray at 11 and then Jordan Bennington at 13, right before Henrik at 14, but they have Henrik in tier three. The only thing for me is these guys have only done it for, like, Matt Murray won two Stanley Cups, but it wasn't because of him. You you know what I'm saying? So I feel like he's a question mark. Bennington had the great year last year, like, enough said i get that but can he do it another year so i I just have question marks as to where certain guys landed uh my boy jonathan quick at 16 yes he's on a decline i I was reading the things that the general managers has said about him he's on the downside he still has that athleticism but there's a lot of question marks there's probably a decline setting in others he's gonna have a bounce back year I think he's going to be better than he was last year, a goalie coach said. I don't want to write him off, and I don't blame them because, I mean, when he's on his game, he's on his game. Yeah. You go a little deeper into it, uh, Simeon Varlamov, your boy at 17, and then Antti Ranta, they had them tied. Carter Hart, 19. One thing I thought was interesting was that they had Philip Grubauer at 20. So I was very curious your thoughts on that just because it seemed like last year he kind of had a coming out party. So for yeah. them to put him that low, I was actually very surprised. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, when it comes to Grubauer, I wrote that down instantly as, how is he ranked 20th below guys like Carter Hart? Uh, he, I think this he had a coming out party last year, as you put it. I think in the playoffs he proved that he's the number one goaltender. He's proved more than Antti Ranta, and even that's the guy who I thought was ranked too low. Uh, they have questions around his health as why, as to why he was ranked 17th. But Grubauer, should, he has to be in a top at least 12, 13 of goaltenders in the league, in my opinion. So him to be ranked 20th shows that he's going to have the type of year where every, a lot of people, casual fans, or guys who just underestimated him are going to be surprised like wow Grubauer is better than what we thought he was but then a lot of the guys around the league are gonna be like yep this is him it's just because he plays in Colorado um and he's not this blue chip prospect nothing was 
he wasn't highly touted, so it's going to come off as a surprise. When some like we've been talking about Grubauer all summer, especially during the playoffs, and that's why we have Colorado as one of our uh, top tier teams for this coming season. So him to be ranked twentieth was a big surprise for me. Like I said, Ranta ranked seventeenth. I think is too low. I think he's very talented. It's all about health with him. I'm surprised that Murray's eleventh because I think Matt Murray is probably one of the most overrated goaltenders in, a, in the National Hockey League. He's he stops the pucks that he's supposed to stop. I don't know if I've ever seen him really steal a game or carry the Penguins for two months at a time throughout an entire playoff. And he gets treated because of the teams he was on as this legitimate top one franchise goaltender. And I don't think that's the case. So him being ranked 11th is a little high for me. I think Bishop should be switched with Bobrovsky or or Rask, one of those two. Um, But yes, nothing too crazy outside of the Grubauer situation and Matt Murray continuing to be vastly overrated. Hank being ranked 14th top the third tier as quote-unquote average, not too surprising, 37 years old. Uh, the last three years, he has a 9-11 save percentage. I think most of that has to do with the team in front of him. I think I still think he's a top half of the league goaltender. Uh, if he gets better defense, which is what we're hoping for this year in New York, I think he's going to really prove himself. And after a poor year last year, I think he's fully recommitted to the game. So I think he's going to have a nice bounce back year this year. But, yeah, I was just surprised about the Grubauer thing. And I'm glad you picked up on that even before we talked about it uh, when you saw him rank 20th about, oh, Ben's going to have something to say about that. Yeah, one other thing I looked at, too, was are you surprised that how far Martin Jones has fallen? Uh, they oh, have him, yeah. They what have him ranked 24th at 20, now? 23. And uh, one head coach in the NHL said it's amazing what San Jose did with him in goal. Uh, another assessment was they played good defensively and he was bad. He had good moments, but he just didn't stop pucks. I like the way he looks, but he just doesn't stop pucks. So, (laughs) and and that's kind of important if you're a goaltender. Yeah. I I think that's kind of like the number one part of goaltending is that, uh, one other one I had just as me wrapping up was a 27 Corey Schneider. Talk about a fall from grace, but at the same time, from what I'm hearing out of New Jersey, he is finally healthy. So I wonder where he could be at the start of next year on this list because seeing some of the other guys that are in front of him. So, Yeah, just to, to wrap this up, well, the guys that are ranked 30th, tied for 30th, so there's nobody technically ranked 31st, our boy Carter Hutton in Buffalo. Uh, not necessarily anything bad written about him, just more of a... Uh, backup goaltender for the long term, kind of a placeholder type guy. But behind him is Rico, Miko uh, Koskinen at Edmonton. And the first line from a goalie coach is, oof, don't like him. <laughs> 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 but yeah, glad uh, Chiarelli gave him that deal bef- like three days before he was fired. That's really going to help Edmonton out. Definitely. They're on the rise to the top, pal. <laughs> um. I figure we can spend the last little bit of this week's episode talking about our boys in Boston and here in New York. Uh, season kicks off on Wednesday. What, do you have any thoughts on the cutdowns cut that were made? Uh, I guess the projections for what the top uh, two, three lines are going to be in Boston. Any surprises? Any news that 
uh, a casual West Coast fan might not be aware of when it comes to the Bruins, and I can kind of do the same for the Rangers. Yeah, well, today Peter Solarik was placed on waivers, and very interesting because I know that the whole organization was very high on him. So to me, a little bit of a surprise. Going through the lineup, the way it currently looks, first line, Martian Bergeron, Pasternak, what a surprise. Uh, second line, DeBrus Krejci, and then it seems as if Carson Kuhlman has currently won that right wing job on the second line to at least start the season. So we will see how that holds up, if he will stay there, if there will be some line shuffling on that right wing side. Going to line three, Danton Heinen, Charlie Coyle, as expected, and then currently Brett Ritchie on that right wing. He's going to be their little uh, their little Spock pug there, allegedly. I don't know. not a fan. Uh, line four, Par Lindholm currently there because Joakim Nordstrom had foot surgery at the end of the Stanley Cup there. Sean Corrali, Chris Wagner. Yet again, I, I just think where they line up, it's to be expected. Healthy scratch, David Backus. I don't think surprising anyone. Go to the D, Chara McAvoy, second pair, Krug, Carlo, third pairing, Grizzlick and Clifton. And then you have Stephen Kampfer currently as your healthy scratch. Tuka start and Yarrow the backup. And then you have uh, Nordstrom, Kevin Miller, and John Moore starting the air on injured reserve. I think once is uh, Kevin Miller comes back, I'm interested to see as to who comes out of that lineup. And... I don't think John Moore is the guy you really have to worry about in the sense of taking someone's job, but I do think that they feel very... uh, Kevin Miller is very effective for you in the role that he plays, so I wonder if he takes Clifton's job and he jumps back in the lineup with Grizzly. So, one, that's probably the only thing I would look out for. Everything else is to be expected, at least with the Bruins side, but if Kuhlman is not able to perform that second-line right wing whether they stay with someone who's currently on that roster or if maybe they look to Anders Bjork to kind of fill a hole, we will see what ends up happening. Yeah, I mean, in New York, a little bit of surprising news came out today. Uh, the Rangers sent Philip Heedle to Hartford, who was, as we entered training camp, everybody was penciling in as our second-line center. Uh, he's still only 20 years old. Uh, he didn't have a great preseason so i think this is more about his development than not believing him anymore in him anymore but this does leave a hole on a second line uh he spent a lot of time with Kreider on his left and Kaka on his right and now the Rangers is kind of second line center by committee at least to start the year uh vitaly Kraftsoff is also sent down ryan lingren was sent down um he earned a spot uh lingren who the rangers got from you guys uh in the Nash deal, it's just that they'd rather have him play top pair minutes in Hartford than be the seventh D. Um, Boone Nieves was placed on waivers, but if he doesn't go on claims, he'll be sent to Hartford. Uh, so that was really the only interesting thing was the Heedle demotion to Hartford. Um, the Rangers did sign Michael Haley from his PTO to a, a contract, which, God fucking damn it, I am so sick and tired of the Rangers having these 12th, 13th forwards that do nothing but punch meat. And Michael Haley is like one of the worst. Um, so basically what it boils down to for the Rangers is uh, obviously Lundqvist and Georgiev and goal on the back end, 7th defenseman. Uh, they have D'Angelo, Adam Fox, Lebo Hasek, Brady Shea, Brendan Smith as the 7th defenseman, Mark Stahl and Jacob Chuba. 
it's going to be Truba and Shea in the top pair, Fox and uh, Hedrick on a second pair, and Stall and D'Angelo on a third pair. Up front, uh, nothing too surprising here. Panarin, Sabanajad, and, Sabanajad and Bucinavich will be the top line. Second line is Kreider. Second line center is going to be one of Ryan Strom, uh, Elias Anderson, Vlad and Mesnikov, and then the right wing will be Kako. Third line is who's who? Brendan Lemieux and Mesnikov? Sure. Elias Anderson? Sure. Strom? Sure. Um, and the fourth line is even more jumbled at this, this point. Uh, I know Jesper Fast is penciled in there, but it could be Brett Howden, Michael Haley, Greg McCaig, Le- Brendan Lemieux. So uh, I would say the bottom six is still up for grabs with the Rangers in terms of what the final lines are going to be. And it really all depends on which one of those guys claims that second line center spot. But um, Heedle should be back up in no time. Uh, but we'll see what happens with him and Elias Anderson if he can take that stuff forward. Is one of your biggest question marks Elias Anderson? Just I know he came in just very high. Do you think he's going to fit into that lineup the right way? Or He had a great, great training camp in preseason, which is... Very, obviously, positive news because of his first year, year and a half in New York. He did not look like he belonged, really, on NHL roster. But he's never going to be a top-line center, maybe even a second-line center. But he came into preseason this year, and he his game has really blossomed into a two-way forward, big body. He really just is a pain in the ass on the ice, which is why it's been interesting to see him play on the same line with Brendan Lemieux. Because uh, those two guys are just sandpaper. Um, he kind of reminds me of Brad Marchand, not in the sense of the goal scoring, but just the, the constant. Just, just he's always involved in scrums. Guys are always trying to get after him. So I think if he solidifies himself as a third center and kind of plays that agitating two-way role, I think the Rangers would be happy. And is there anyone you see getting in the Quinney's doghouse? Because we've seen that happen over the last couple of years. So just wondering if you have a certain guy on your radar. Uh, I, I'm going to go with one up front and one on a back end. The one up front is my boy, Pavel Buchnevich, just because he's already been in it. They call it uh, the Quinbin here in New York. The Quinbin, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but he spent a lot of time, especially early on last year, uh, in his doghouse in the Quinbin. Um, but he worked himself out of it. He had a great second half of the year last year. So if he can build on that, that would be great. But... He's the stereotypical, enigmatic Russian forward, uh, so you never know. On the back end, I'm going to go with Adam Fox, because I think uh, Anthony D'Angelo really took a step forward last year, and uh, I think he's going to be a big-time breakout defenseman in the Houston Conference this year. Uh, but Adam Fox, he's at high-risk, kind of small, offensive-minded defenseman, so we'll see what his adjustment is to the pros with uh, playing in front of the net, uh, defensive miscues, things like that. So he's the easiest target, I think, where he'll make one or two bad passes, and then Quinn's just going to be like, all right, you can stay there for the rest of the game. <laughs> I love it. N- nothing wrong with a little Boston attitude, right? <laughs> um, but, yes, you guys obviously are in a different phase as an organization than we are, but uh, I can't wait till uh, Black Friday. I, I am very excited. Phil said he may have tickets for us because you know he, he's a very big uh, he, he's a very big two five and ten guy. May have it. All right, we'll give him a, give him a shout out. We'll have um, to we'll have to track down Mike and Renee. I got a part of their email chain for some uh, 
for for some tickets. That game wasn't on the thing, but you know you might be able to sweet talk him. Oh uh, yeah, just just buy some Mike. Uh, buy Mike some of his favorite barbecue sauce, and you can get anything from him. Yeah, that's it. Step one: barbecue sauce. Um, before we wrap up, I kind of just wanted to highlight. I know I didn't talk to you about this beforehand, but just some names that came across the waiver wire today from Cutdown Day that were interesting to me: Sam Gagne, Brandon Manning, Stephen Santini, who was involved in the PK Subban trade. Um, Anton Forsberg, the goaltender in Carolina, was placed on waivers. Uh, like you said, Lark, JT Brown, Kenny Augustino is on waivers again. Daniel Sprong out in Anaheim, who I thought was almost secure of a roster spot, but apparently his defensive issues aren't helping him there. Um, and then Josh Hosang and Thomas Hickey with the Islanders. So Hosang has been up and down. He's been basically talking shit to his own organization about how he should be in NHL because he's better than some of the guys up there. Uh, he's done nothing but score in the A. He's done nothing but score 24 points in 53 games for the Islanders. But apparently his attitude and his two-way game is just not enough for them to keep the headache around. Thomas Hickey's on waivers. And then I think the other big one, um, sorry, just pulling up, is out of Vancouver, where they put Strand Bartowski on waivers. And he has great 5-on-5 five five numbers, uh, especially in with his Corsi uh, statistics. So the fact that he's on waivers, he's relatively expensive, but I think he has a future in a league. It's just going to be interesting to see who picks him up. Do you think anyone takes a flyer on Hosang? I, I like, I'm with you. This kid has done a whole bunch in juniors and in the A, but he just seems to be an absolute nightmare for them. Like the fir- <laughs> his first training camp when he went there, he overslept. They sent them home. It just seems, and then it was uh, the 66 issue. He he likes no, wearing number 66 because Mario <laughs> Lemieux was his favorite player. Then they changed the number to 26. Big fucking to do. Like, I, I just feel like the kid can do something, but know who he reminds me of? Who we talked about earlier, Evander Kane. Just, mm. he can get shit done, but is the headache worth it? And that, I, I don't know. He's definitely going to get claimed because you're talking about a 22... 22- 23-year-old righty shot right wing who can has a potential to score. So I mentioned his 24 points in 53 games in NHL. 21 of those points are at even strength. So he's not getting power play minutes and he's putting up those points. And uh, he's fantastic at shot creation. Like if I, I wish this was a visual because I can show the uh, spray charts essentially of his shot creation when he's on the ice and he's always a positive. So I think some team's going to give him a shot. It's just about putting him in a situation, I think, where there's a lot of veteran leadership, where he's going to come in and know what his fucking role is and not be able to speak up. So maybe a place like Chicago, um, even Boston. Like I feel like if he went to Boston playing on that third-line right wing, he knows the culture. He knows if he's not going to open up his mouth to a guy like Char or Bergeron and just let him play, give him some power play minutes. You never know where you can get. Not to mention, too, they're still very worried about that second line right wing. That would not be a flyer. That would, uh, yeah, that could definitely suit us. I, I, I don't know. I mean, Don Sweeney doesn't do anything that's risky, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Works for you guys, eight hundred and seventy-five k. Yeah, we'll slide him in right under there, and the Rock would tell him, <laughs> "Just know your role and shut your mouth." Uh do we have any shoutouts this week? Uh, yes, obviously, huge, tremendous shout out to the first lady. Not only just a weekly shout-out, but 
She was able to be a, a fantastic co-pilot on our cross-country road trip. Uh, kept me awake, kept me going with uh, podcasts and music and just good conversation. And the fact that after 12 days together, being spent every single moment in a car, in an Airbnb, doing tourist activities in multiple cities, that she didn't just throw me out of a car or push me over a bridge. I give her a shout-out for that. Um, and shout-out to you and Phil for holding down a fort while I was gone uh, with the episode. I appreciate his uh, lovely and highly respectful shout-outs to me and a first lady, and especially in terms of my aficionado of Asian women. <laughs> I mean... Phil wanted to know if at any point he'll be getting a text message or if there's going to be any reach out on your end because he was all about putting out if you were putting in. Uh, it depends on what kind of flavor ice cream I get at the end. Uh, they, the ice cream is key. There's nothing wrong with, <laughs> nothing wrong with a nice little cherry on top. Uh, let's see. Shout outs this week. Uh, Big Red, the apple of my eye. We, we had a little uh, fun weekend. We were kind of all over the place, but Glad that's over. Friday night, not gonna lie, got a little cocked at the uh, <laughs> a, at the house. Uh, the big puta came over. He was actually able to get out of the house, and then Stratty came over, and I guess it ended up with me passing out under the carport in a chair. Whatever. <laughs> uh, long work week, you know. I'm exhausted. I got kids. Ah, uh, yeah. No, it's it's been quiet. It's been nice. I I got nothing, man. There there's nothing too much for me. Anything for you? Wrapping up. I'm just excited to be home in New York and excited that the season is starting this week. Got NHL center ice, got it all set, ready to go. I'm just pumped for another season and eventually, six months from now, the Rangers Stanley Cup parade down the Canyon of Heroes here in Manhattan. Yes, whatever that Canyon <laughs> of Piers is. Everybody, as always, thank you for listening we're pumped up to get this season started. We got a whole bunch more episodes coming your way. Thank you for listening as always. Again, I'm, we're just grateful. It's been a full year. M me and Benny did not think this little basement podcast would get as many text messages in harassment as we thought we would get. So on that end, I guess we're doing pretty good. Puck drops Wednesday. Let's go. Let's go.